G'day, it's Phil here. Last time on this special series of The Game Changers, we met, well rather, I think you met, I'd already met, but we're sharing the voice of my friend, Jojo McKechn, the remarkable educator, who is tearing apart and putting back together the basic principles on what we do to educate for a world that is more human and more connected to itself. We got to the point last time where we were talking about the challenges that face us when we don't listen to the inner voice of children and the inner voice of adults in the system. This time, we're going to go further. We're going to look at agency and the way we can start proposing some solutions. I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before you start your conversation with today's Game Changers special series guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 12 sponsor? Of course, Adriano. We are partnered with the dynamic education team at the Museum of Australian Democracy. MOAD Learning can support your teaching and learning needs on a range of topics, including civics and citizenship, democracy, empowering voice, and so much more. Visit moadoph.gov.au forward slash learning. That's moadoph.gov.au forward slash learning. Hello, Jojo. How are you doing today? Tanakwe, uh, Phil. It's lovely to be back. I'm very, very pleased to hear that. Chacho, last time uh, you were talking about the importance of the questions that you want children to be able to answer, um, or that rather that children want to be able to answer themselves. Do you know who you are? Do you know where you fit in? Do you know how you contribute? They're radical, dangerous words in education because they imply that the agency in learning lies with the learner themselves and not the old person at the front of the classroom, uh, standing, pontificating in front of rows of desks. Mm. Why is it so important that the agency in learning lies with the learner? I know that sounds obvious, but why Mm. is it so important? I think, Phil, that when you leave school, you don't take a teacher with you. When you leave school, you walk out the gates on your own. When you leave school, you have to be the person who makes every single decision for you for the rest of your life. I have been asked to go into districts in the United States, into regions in other countries, and the, this is this is not going to sound very nice at all, but I've been asked to go in and could I stop the children wanting to take their own lives when they go to university after they've been at school? And the reason that they ask me to do that is because the kids can't cope after they've left school. And the reason that they can't cope is because they've been so cosseted at school and that they've been, they've been big fish at school and they get out into the real world and they can't cope. So that's one end of the scale. The other end of the scale is, is that kids are coming out of school and saying, I don't know who I am. I don't know what to do with my life. I've got no idea. Or they're coming out of school feeling like they are absolutely an absolute failure and there's no chance they can be anything. So we're getting kids who are coming out of our school system at various times, some hemorrhaging at a very young age, some surviving to the very end, who are not doing okay. And then we're getting kids who are coming out who are feeling like they are the best thing in the world and they know what they're doing. So the disparity, the inequity, the 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 racism, the whole the whole gambit is going on in our school system and we have to change it. So I want to jump into something which might seem like a strange way to respond to such a profound set of observations and and such a a clear clarion call to action. I I, I want to talk about what I'm seeing, particularly in the Twitterverse at the moment, and that's 
making the assumption that by the time this goes to air, Twitter will still exist. But in the Twitterverse, there, there are a whole bunch of folk who are absolutely wed to the idea of evidence-based teaching, of explicit mm. instruction, and of the role of the teacher. Mm. And it's clear in their eyes that education works because they know they have the answer. Mm. Interesting. And therefore, yeah. and, and, and therefore, out of a sense of deep conviction, very much it's about I say they do. Mm. How do we unpick that? I've been, yeah, I've been also been very interested in watching it too. And I, at my ripe old age, um, I, I would say that if we go down that one pathway, then we're in a grave, great deal of danger. Um, What's I don't the danger? Think the danger is there is no one way. There is no one size fits all. You know, I, I, the reason I say that is because if anybody out there who's listening to this has got twins or knows twins, I want you to think about those two children right now. And I want you to tell me that even if they are identical twins, I want you to tell me if they are exactly the same and that those two children need exactly the same. I want you to tell me that they want to eat the exact same food, that they want to be the exact same people, that they want to be do the exact same career, that they want to do the exact same thing. And Because I've never met two kids who are exactly the same. And I've never met two kids who need the exact same thing at the exact same time. Now, to me, this is a reaction. It's a reaction to the fact that there are some kids who are not being successful at school. So what happens is that we get a, we get a swing one way, we get a swing the other way. So we get a swing, let's go this way, let's go that way. I say, let's sit down and ask the children who they are, what they need, and what do they need to be, and ask their parents as well. What do they aspire for their children? What does the, what does the whānau family want them to be? How do we actually want to do this together? How do we want learning to look like in our, re in our region, in our system, in our country? It's got to go back to what do we actually need. Um, you know, there's, there's, and then some of those, some of the methodologies that they're talking about, some of those pedagogical practices are going to suit some kids. But I can guarantee you they will not suit every child. I can guarantee that I will bet my life on it. There okay, so can I, can, I, can I flip it around the other way? Yep. Then. Because there's another group of teachers out there at the moment for whom it's all about choose your own adventure. It's all about rejection of structure. It's all about uh, empowering the individual student from the earliest age to discover what it is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't work either. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I will say the exact same thing to teachers like that. Is that that you can't? It's that that some kids are going to thrive in that environment. Other kids are going to go absolutely stark raving mad because they need much more structure. So for me, it's about who is the child. So the work that I do is about figuring out who are we teaching right here and right now, and what is the way of learning that they need. And I'm not talking necessarily about learning styles. I'm talking about figuring out that child and what do they need to learn. And you try different methodologies or different pedagogies until you can figure out how, they, how they're going to be successful. Now, people say, oh, we can't do that for 30 kids in our class. Yes, we can. That's our job. That's actually our job. Let's not do all the other things that are taking up our time that are not actually making any difference. Let's spend the time knowing our children so well that we know how we need to teach them. And we work together as a team across our schools until we figure this out. But if you do exactly the same thing for every child, we'll end up in the standardised situation that we're seeing some of our big countries in the world 
like the United States, who are struggling incredibly with their education system right now? Well, there's 50 years of evidence in in places like the United States and the United Kingdom that if you keep doing the same sorts of things, you keep getting the same sorts of results. And then there's lots of interventions which are designed at doing the same thing even better and the same results are being attained even more predictably at the end of the day. So it's, it's you know, it's it's that insanity thing of doing the same thing again and again and again, isn't it? Um, and there's a fear, Phil, that people, people are frightened. People are frightened to say, people are wondering why, why education is not working anymore. So people are sort of, you know, and I mean, I've, they're wondering why everybody is not getting an education. Well, let's face it, we've got another billion people on the planet than we had a few years ago, and we're struggling to cope. We're struggling with the rapid change. We're struggling with the change of technology. We're trying to figure it all out. Give ourselves a break and try and do it together and actually think about it rationally. We cannot just pluck pluck a methodology out of the air and say that's the way it's going to be for everybody. There's just no way it works like that. We're all individual human beings trying to figure this out together. Let's do it together in a rational way. A paper I recently wrote with Pilvi Torsti, Dr. Pilvi Torsti from Finland, head of state of education from Finland, and um, Vishal um, Teldrija from India, who co-wrote the happiness curriculum. And he's um, also a former game changer guest, might I add. And he's also a former game changer guest, absolutely one of my most closest friends in the world. Um, you know, we just recently wrote a paper that was published in the Diplomatic Courier and presented at the um at the UN Transforming Education Summit in New York. And what what we're basically saying is is that we need a global education system that's rooted in local agency. So we know we need to read and write. We know we need maths. We know we need some of those content areas. But we need the local people to actually figure out who are our kids so they can teach how they need to teach. We We don't need to be wasting time on creating 100 million different things for every country, but we need to have the basic information available for everybody. But we're not, we, nobody has the right to say, you have to teach in this way. That's up to the individual teacher. And, I, you know, I say to every teacher, you are the trained professional. If you don't have that knowledge of how to teach that, or you don't have the pedagogical practices of how to teach that, then you need to get some information through professional development to learn how to do that for that particular child. So, the, so what you're proposing um, relies on uh, the honouring of the agency of the child as well as honouring the agency of the teacher at the same time. That's very complex, Jojo. That's not a simple binary answer. It's not one or the other. It's both at the same time. It's, you know, exactly. it's, and it gains further in complexity because at the end of the day, I think what you're proposing sits very comfortably with our research that we found, which is that the only pedagogy that really matters is the pedagogy of relationship. And it is that relationship between the voice, uh, the, the, the emerging voice, of the learner and the experienced voice of the adult or the teacher or the expert in the room. And that complex set of negotiations that go on between the two as we learn to listen to each other and then respond accordingly. I was always taught, you know, back in the dark ages, I was always taught that the element, that the, the basic element to pastoral care for children was to know the child and to, to respond accordingly. And it seemed to me that it's always seemed to me that that's the basis of pedagogy as well too. know the child respond accordingly and yet we find it so difficult to do mm. this mm. as a profession uh, and we we end up doing everything except for the thing that matters why do you think that is um because we're in a hurry we're in a hurry to get through a curriculum we're in a hurry to test we're in a hurry to get through the day we're in a hurry to check our phone 
We're in a hurry to get home. We're in a hurry to get our glass of wine at night. We're in a hurry to get to bed. We're in a hurry to wake up. We're in a hurry to get to the end of the week. We don't take the time to sit back and just remember and just be. You know, I think um, the Secretary of the UN, he, he put out those four things that education should be, and one of them was to learn to be. And, you know, I just love that because that reminds me that we are going far too fast and we try and race through everything. And what happens is that we've stopped listening because of that. And if we, if we sit down and actually stop going through a curriculum that is too big, then we will actually, and teach the child, then we actually end up doing a much better job. I often say to teachers, if you, if you listen to the child and you do start with your assessment first and figure out what they already know, you, you have your curriculum content in, in, in no time at all. So you can actually get through what they need. Think about what the word I said in the last session, ako, you're teaching and learning at the same time. It's simultaneous. And it's, 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 we can do this. You know, we just, we just, we've, we've just lost the trust in the system. If we expect, if we expect people to trust teachers, we need to trust ourselves. If we expect society to look up to us, we need to look up to ourselves. And we need to stand tall, and I use the word tutangata, which is in, in, in te reo Māori. It means stand tall. We need to stand tall and say, we have got this. We know how to listen to our children and to teach them. And we need to bring in the, the right people at the right time, but we understand this, how this process works. Well, I think there might be another um, te reo Māori word which is relevant in this space too, which is whakapapa. Yes. Do you want to explain? You're way more qualified to explain <laughs> what that is and how that fits in and, yeah. and why it is that whanau or family and heritage and lineage play a role in all of this. Um, it's basically whakapapa means your genealogy, where are you from, who, who do you belong to. So in, in, in the days when we were, you know, in the pre, pre-school days, um, when people were, and I'll say when people still used to be able to learn, um, in the in the ways that were more natural, I guess. Um, you know, when we were growing up, our elders or our our komatua, our, our people who were older than us, they they observed and they watched children, and they saw where they had their natural strengths, and they guided them. So by the time they were sort of sixteen or seventeen, they actually were experts in certain areas. So we had, you know, the, the elders were looking and they were sort of helping kids figure out who they were. So it's it's you 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 have a lineage back, or you you have your whānau family back to to a particular way of being. So some families they've got you know you know leaders in their whānau family. Some have got expertise in gardening. Some have got expertise in growing food. Some have got expertise in certain areas. Some have got expertise in medicines. Some have got expertise in spiritual or wairua. Some people have expertise in um, knowledge. And what happens is, is that it's okay. It doesn't matter which one you are, you just are. And there's no, there's no judgment around it. And I think partly, you know, when you know who you are, you know where you're from, you're accepted. You're accepted. And I want to say that again, you're accepted for who you are. There's no judgment about who you are. So when you work with Māori or Indigenous, you are who you are. And the first thing they ask you is not, what do you do, which gives you a label. It's, who are you? Where are you from? Who are your family? So then they can, we can place you and figure out where do you belong. So we've got a connection with you. So we know who you are. We've got a, a way of understanding you. What you do for your job is not relevant, not for a long time, not until we actually understand you as a person. 
So basically, that's where you sort of lose your emperor's clothes. That's where you, the real person is the most important thing. And I think that's what we all have to come to, is actually understanding that it's the person that counts. And the person is with you for life. Your family, your whakapapa, they are with you for life. Seven generations beyond, both ways. So whenever we're thinking about what we're doing, it's not just for today, it's for a long time into the future. And the generations are walking behind me in the past. So what I'm doing, I'm being supported by the my ancestors, but I'm also looking to the future. What am I leaving for my future generations that are coming in front of me? So it yeah. means that we don't just do things for now, that we are seriously looking at forwards and backwards. Yeah, I think I think a world in which encourages children to abandon their families is a world that's lost touch with exactly this sense of of, of belonging. You can't change where you come from. It's it's no. impossible. It's it's a reality of life yes. um, around there. And yet, so much of what you're talking about there, I think, way too many people in our profession, way too many teachers, way too many educators, define themselves by what they do. That's right rather who than they who are. they are and yeah. who they're becoming in relation to their uh, to their seven generations before and the seven generations afterwards. Um, uh, there's so much of what you're talking about there which is rooted so strongly in the notion of belonging because exactly. if you belong, then you have connection. Yeah. If you have connection, you have a reason to exercise a sense of purpose in the world. You know, you're connected with people, you're connected with place, you're connected with planet, and you have an understanding about where you fit in in relation to that. Then yeah. then your sense of purpose becomes clear. Then you can put that into practice, can't you? Mm. And like all of us, um, you'll do that imperfectly. And that's yeah. why you've got other people around you because they're there to shine the light into your cracks yeah. uh, of you know, what you're being. But can, you know, I, can I pick up on that, Phil? There's two things I want yeah. to say just to really to give people yeah, sure. some comfort. One is that if you don't have a sense of place because you don't know where you're from, it can start with you. Now, I said that to a, a, a woman who's probably, she's a little bit older than me, and she burst into tears because she'd never, nobody had ever said that to her before. She's got her family, her own family now, and she said, I've always felt like I've, I've got nowhere or no one. And I said, you can start your own family with you. You are your own family and you can start it with you. So you do have a sense of belonging. It can start with you. And the second thing I want to say is about um, the, the sort of the perfection thing. That's a Western worldview. In the Indigenous world, we don't have to be perf perfect. We're allowed to make mistakes. We're allowed to be imperfect because we know we're together for forever, so we can't escape, escape each other. So <laughs> we, are, we, don't, we don't throw each other away. So we have to be stuck together for forever. So it's it's perfect. being perfect is not an expectation. We're allowed to make mistakes, and so so let that be. Just let that sit with everybody who's listening. You're allowed to make mistakes. So what is the expectation of the agency of the individual then? The expectation is that when you are comfortable in your own skin, when you are comfortable with who you are, you know how to connect. You know what your pathway is for your knowledge. You know how to communicate then you are expected to speak on behalf of your people. You are expected to make change in the world that you won't tolerate inequity. You won't tolerate things happening to our planet that are unacceptable, that you will stand tall and make a difference and make change in this world. When I write learning progressions, there are three phases that they go through. The first one is 
learn who you are. This describes where you are currently. The next phase is how does this all, how do you fit into this? Fit yourself into where you are in your learning journey. The last one is a call, the last piece is a call to action. What are you going to do about it? That's genuine agency. When you have the courage to do what I'm doing right now and speak your truth and not be frightened that somebody, because somebody will, somebody will disagree with me, somebody will probably put something out and say, what are you talking about again? doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because I believe so much in what I'm doing and I know that I'm helping children. I know that what I'm doing is making a difference for people's lives. That's the call to action. So that's agency, is when you can do something and make a difference for other people's lives. That's the contribution piece. Now, when I'm contributing, I feel better. When I'm doing something for myself, not so much. But that's genuine agency. So from belonging to connection to agency to contribution. Yeah. What does that look like in a classroom? Because like, I, I, I know that for, for folk like you and me, we love talking about these big ideas. And we like trying to tease the tease out the ways in which that they can apply to assist them in a class and so on. <laughs> I happen to have a, I happen to have a, a learning a progression on that. I happen to have a rubric yeah. on that. So yeah. like I've got learning progressions on self-understanding, connection and yeah. competency. What I yeah. did is because everybody asked that, is that I wrote a rubric on on what does it look like in a classroom when you have it the the conditions are there for self-understanding, when a classroom knows who they are and a school knows who they are, when a classroom knows how to connect, when the conditions are there, when a, when a school knows how to connect with each other, when the, with the community as well, when the knowledge is there, when everybody feels like they can access their knowledge that they need and when they can do that with their competency. And we seek knowledge to do that and we, we say, what does it look like when that happens? And the kids decide that too. The children decide that with the teacher and family. So basically what I do is that I always create a way of describing what success looks like. I always say, what's the evidence for it? And then we always make an action out of it. How do we get it? How do we improve? So I'm, I'm always, I always measure what we do. Um, and because if we don't measure it, we don't know if we're getting better at it. And then I always describe what does success look like? Because if we don't describe what success looks like, how do we know what we're trying to, how do we know what we're shooting for? And you know, we always measure through a multiple mixed method of authentic mixed method assessment using a multiple um, data points, which I call the multiple pieces of assessment. Synthesize that, and that gives us our our overall rating for success or not. So there's some fundamental things here about really good teaching, really good learning that are in play. Um, this is not just some uh, self help manual applied oh. to applied to a classroom this isn't some sort of um, feel-good kind of exercise this is about genuine strengthening of the learning of individuals and of groups so that they can function successfully uh, so that they can feel uh, feel certain about their place in the world and then go out and contribute mm -hmm. this is a very structured process people sort of think when you're talking about you know social and emotional learning or contribution that it's all fluffy I'm, I'm dead serious about this is a, a deep dive process into changing the culture of a school, the culture of a classroom, the culture of a system to shift it from a self-centered process to a very contributive way of being. 
and it shifts societies away from that education looks like learning from a learning from one source to kids being able to access knowledge in the way that they need it to be able to live a life of purpose using your words so what's the role of competition in all of this Oh, competitions. Um, there's there's always going to be competition, and I, I you know there's there's healthy competition. It's it's like it's like, but I also believe that there's a there's a there's a point of it, but there's 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 a time and a place where we've got to stop it. It's like what I say to you, Phil. It's like you know we have to model that as providers of support for schools that we can work together too. And like we've we've talked at length about this, that there's there's got to be a time when people say. We're all in this together for the benefit of our kids, and there's enough work for everybody. It's to me, it's about competition is can be positive or it can be negative. I think what we have to learn to do is to teach each other that we can share, we can be okay with it, and that we've got an opportunity right here and right now to contribute to each other's lives in a way that can make the world a better place. If we keep everything for ourselves, then this world is going to be a really miserable place and continue to be at war, at challenge, at risk. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? The, the folk who continue to push for the, the sort of hardline individual agency, never particularly happy. Yeah, and the people, who push, the people who push for only a shared agency are never particularly successful. It's that space in the middle and it's that negotiation between the two. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I isn't think that's it? right. Uh, as again, it's there's no one size fits all, but I think there's 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 room for a bit of both. There it is, um, Jojo. I think that might be a good stop point for us today. Um, I think we've explored really nicely where agency fits into your worldview and your experience, and the evidence um, that you draw on in uh, the Learner First and the other organisations that you're involved with i'd like us to come back one more time if we can next week um to talk about the final piece uh which is about advocacy sounds fantastic i'm really looking forward to seeing you again next week well let's go Takitiano. game changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school produced by oliver cummins for orbital productions and powered by a school for tomorrow game changes is available on spotify apple podcasts Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.